basketball season, I was making my way to Birmingham Southern to introduce myself to the new basketball players there and the team. Uh, the coach gives me an opportunity to talk to the team um, in an extended way uh, once a year at the beginning when they start practice. And I remember the Lord giving me a word for them about uh, transition and about all that they have to think about as students. You know, uh, when you finish high school and you go to college, you have to think about being away from home. You have to think about living on your own. You have to think about your social life and being able to fit in and make a new set of friends and finding your village. You have to think about your studies and whether or not college is going to be a whole lot more difficult than uh, than high school was. I said, and you, you gentlemen, have to think about basketball. Everybody's vying for five positions. You got about 15 to 18 guys trying to 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 vie for five spots on the court, and you got to think about that. You have to think about whether or not you're going to fit in. You have to think about whether or not you're going to have spending money. Let those that went to college say Amen. You have to think about all of those things. And then I said, and here is this preacher that comes and says that you need to tack on God to everything you've already got to think about and all the things that you're already doing. And I told them, don't think of it that way. I don't want you to think that I'm saying you need to tack on one more thing. What I'm not saying is that you've got all of this going on in your life and now just just add one more thing and that one more thing is Jesus and everything is going to be okay. Think of it this way. Think of you having all things that occupy your life. And what I'm saying is allow Jesus to give definition to each one. So Jesus, Jesus, give definition to this new social life that I have. Give, 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 give definition to this new academic life that I have. Give definition to me playing on this team. Give definition to you providing for everyone. Give, def, give definition to my transition. Jesus, I want you to, to, to give meaning to every detail of my life. And men and women, when we talk about this whole subject of, of Jesus talking to his disciples as he nears the end of his life, in John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, And do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see, these were good Jews where Jehovah would give definition to every area of their lives. He, he, he was the foundation of all of their, their, their lives. Everything that they were involved in, from their diet to the day that they died, Jehovah was supposed to, to, uh, to give meaning to all of that. And what Jesus is saying is, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't, don't be so overwhelmed with life. Uh, don't, don't let it be troubled. You believe in God. God gives definition to that. Now let me, let me give definition to your life. Let me be the foundation of your life. Let let, let me be the area 
let, let, let me be the, the thing that, that, that uh, allows everything else to come together. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these other things are going to be added to you. I could be talking to someone who says, well, yeah, Pastor Mike, but I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, Pastor Mike, but you don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, Pastor Mike, but, but you don't know the situation that's in my life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a what? A hope. Men and women, hope is one of the big three. Faith, hope, and love. It's one of the big three. I think we talk a lot about faith. I think we talk a lot about love, but I'm not sure we talk enough about hope. Men and women, I remember years ago going through a seminary class and the seminary professor saying, when someone comes into your office and their, 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 their marriage is on the edge. And not only one party is thinking about divorce, but both parties are thinking about divorce. Divorce. What are you going to tell them? I didn't open my mouth, but what went through my head was, I don't know. And when they come into your, to your, your, your office and they start talking about the abuse that they've been suffering, either, either from a spouse or from a friend or from a loved one, either physical or verbal or psychological, what are you going to tell them? Or if someone comes into your office and they can't make ends meet, and, and, and it's not that they're being lazy, and it's not that they're being a bad steward, it's not, no, but their job and their income, even at the bare minimum, don't reach. And they're about two to three hundred dollars in the negative every month, and they're not spending their money wastefully. What are you going to tell them? And there was a big pause in the room, and the professor said, You give them hope. You start off the session by giving them hope. And, 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 and what I'd like to talk about in the next few minutes is, is hope. Not only does the Lord want to give us a future uh, 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 and, and, and not give us calamity that this, he knows the plans are for our welfare, welfare, but he says, I want to give you a future and I want to give you a hope. I want you to have hope. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It boils down to your relationship with God. But I want to talk about three principles to give you hope for troubled times. Three principles to give you hope. It may not be for you. It may not be that you're overwhelmed and you're drowning. It may not be that you're in trouble and you have trials and you've been tested or being tested. It may not be for you today. It may be for a loved one. It may be that in the future you're going into trials and temptation. It could be that 2020, it's going to come. And men and women, as much as I would like to say that we're going to live a drama-free and a stress-free life, that's my goal It's not going to happen. Every single one of us is going to be overwhelmed by trials and tribulations. I guarantee you. I don't know what month it's going to be. I don't know what day it's going to be. But make no mistake, it is coming. And if you are not prepared for it, then you will be swept away. It's like with my basketball team. We have pregame talks, we have halftime talks, and we have talks during timeouts. Kim and my daughters and some others have come to our games, 
And so they don't see the pregame talk. But during the pregame talk, if it's a team that we've already played either last year or the year before, or I know about them and I've scouted them and I made phone calls about what they do and what they don't do, I say, guys, here's what you're going to face and you need to be prepared for it. Here's what's going to happen. If it's halftime and we're up, I tell them the game ain't over, y'all. We can be, ha- uh, we, we won the half, but we hadn't won the game. You can't relax. You, you, you can't think that it's over. You can't think that, well, well, I've done enough. No, there are plenty of times where we've gone in at halftime in the lead and we lost the game. And at halftime, if we're losing, I say, well, this is what they're doing. This is what we're going to see. Because they're winning, they're going to keep doing this. And these are the adjustments that we have to make. And one of the things that my wife and, and, and my kids, I hope they've seen this, but I have the privilege of coaching with an NBA player, a former NBA player. His name is Buck Johnson. And Buck, I have good sense. He's my assistant coach, but I have good sense enough to know that I need more wisdom than I have. He's probably forgotten more basketball than I know. So when there's a timeout, I tell our guys, go sit down on the bench. And I go out on the court and I get Buck to come and I say, Buck, what do you see? And he says, Coach, I see this and this and this. I said, well, that's what I see, too. I just wanted to make sure. And then I go talk to them. We consult. But many times in our lives, we don't consult others with the difficulty and the trials that we're going to going through. And what I'm saying is the most important person you need to consult during a timeout is God. So you're going through this and you say, well, God, what do you see? God, what is going And God says there are three principles you need to be aware of in any trial, any temptation, and any test. So that your heart won't be troubled. The foundation is you believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. Are you with me? You're with me. Let's go through the three principles. Number one, and turn in your Bibles if you have them. or If not, you can look up forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. All of the points are coming from one verse. One verse. Point number one is simply this. In your trial, in your temptation, in your testing, your situation is ordinary. Let me tell you what the devil will tell you. The devil will tell you that your situation is unique. It's unique. Now, your situation may be unique to you in terms of its... And my mother is going to be real, real proud if I get this next word right. It may be unique to you in its specificity. Did y'all see that? See how I did that? Mm. Mm. Shabba-ba-do-ba-da-da. It may be unique to you in its specificity, but it is not unique to you in its general category. So you're not the first person that has had marital problems, and you're not going to be the last. You're not the first person who's had financial problems, and you're certainly not going to be the last. You're not the first person that has family problems, and you're certainly not going to be the last one. Now, the details of your issue may be a little bit different. But the category is the same. Notice what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says. It says, there hath no temptation taken you, but what? As is what? Common to man. That phrase, common to man, one commentator says, is the word that we get for anthropology. 
the study of man and his human experience. And what he's saying is, if you are human, you're going to experience this. If you're not the first person to lose a loved one, you're certainly not going to be the last. You're not the first one that's frustrated with your faith, and you're not going to be the last. And so what he says is your situation is ordinary. You know what Jesus said in John 16, 33? He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have it. Turn in your Bibles quickly to Isaiah 43. If you don't get there, write it down. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. It says, fear not, for I have formed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers... They shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? He says in the very beginning, fear not, I formed you. He says, I created you. I fashioned you. I have made you. He says, I called you by your name. And not only that, you are mine. I know everything that's going on in your life. I fashioned you, I formed you, I created you, I called you by your name. Make no mistake, he knows exactly what's going on in your life and what's going on in my life. Now, here's the transition. He says, when you pass through the waters. He doesn't say if. He says, when, Patrick, he says, when you pass through the waters, and then he gives you a promise. He says, I'm going to be with you. Then he says, and when you go through the rivers, they're not going to overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned up. And you, the flame is not going to scorch you. Now, make, make, circle it in your Bible, underline it, put a, put a star on it, whatever you want to do. But the word when. You're going to go through some waters and feel like you're, it's a flood. You're going to go through some fire and feel like you're all burned up and consumed. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There hath no temptation or no trial or no test has taken you, overtaken you or taken you, but such as is common to man. Your situation is not ordinary. Hebrews would say this, We do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who cannot sympathize with all of our weaknesses. But one who is tempted or tested or had a trial in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Well, when was Jesus tested? When was he tempted? When did it? In the wilderness. Make these stones become bread. He tempted him in the physical area with regard to his appetites. And you say, well, yeah, I, yeah, I just, I, my life is out of control. Jesus was tempted there and he had the victory. Then Jesus was taken to a temple and put an eye. He says, well, Jesus, uh, go, go ahead. You, you, you jump off. You know, I read the scriptures. The angel's going to catch you. No, all of us have been tempted to do things that God hadn't called us to do. Could Jesus have jumped? Could the angels catch? Sure, but God didn't say it. And one of our biggest problems, y'all, is that we listen to the devil. Well, I'm just taking a leap of faith. God ain't told you to take no leap of faith. God has told you to walk with him, not leap. Am I right about it? Y'all leaping and he said walk. No. Jesus said no. 
you're not going to test me. I only listen to God. Well, he takes him and says, well, I'll give you all of this stuff. And some of us have been tempted and the trial is that we don't have all the stuff we want. And Jesus was content with not having all that stuff. Matter of fact, my father owns it already and you're trying to give it to me. It's a part of my, my, I, I own a cattle on a thousand hills and I own the hills and I own the air on the hills and I own the moon and the sun that shines on the hills and I own everything and you trying to tempt me with it? Many of us are tempted with stuff today because we think this earth is our home. Stuff that's going to burn up. Am I right about it? So, we back to the passage in, in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, no temptation has overtaken you but what? Now, here's what I want you to see. In each one of these points, there's a but. Three buts. Three buts about trials and temptations. Three buts. The first is, but such is as common to man. Your situation is not ordinary. If you are counseling somebody on your job who is crying, and, and listen, you, you, you are listening to a person who has a bleeding heart. You come in my office and tell me your child, I'll start crying with you. I'll say, hand the tissue. You know, I'll just start. But, but I've got to, to be mindful is this situation is ordinary. Ain't nothing new under the sun. Well, you know he left me. He ain't the first person he left. It ain't going to be the last. Am I right about it? I don't even know where that came from. That was for somebody today. They left. Let me tell you about people leaving. And this ain't mean, y'all. But I remember when we first started the church, and, you know, when you plant a church and start a church and stuff, you get people that want to see what it's like and, and your vision is either going to attract people or distract people, right? So I was, I was upset because folks were leaving and everything. And I went to go see my pastor. And I sat down in his office and I start crying. You know, I say, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, people are just leaving. And, 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 and I started telling him who left. And he started laughing. And I wondered why he was laughing. I'm just, you know. He said, head up. Put my head up. He said they needed to go because they were divine subtractions. That ain't being mean. But but we're so tied to folk, we can't get to the next place because we're carrying them with us. And they're walking in the opposite direction. I don't know who that was for. Don't know who it was for. You go where God tells you to go. Point number two. Not only is your situation uh, ordinary, but your situation is not overwhelming. Look at the verse. There has no temptation taken you, but such is, is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. You see, in the first one, you may say, well, my situation is unique. That's the lie of the devil. The lie of the devil here is my situation is too strong and it's too much. I can't handle it. You don't know what I'm going. And a lot of times that for me, that's an excuse. You don't know. Well, no, it's ordinary. It's not too much. Head up. Man up. 
and let's do this thing. He says, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. The presence and the faithfulness of God will meet you in every trial, temptation, and test. The presence and the faithfulness of God will meet you in every single one. And many times we forget about it. We feel like we're overwhelmed. And, and, and you say, listen, look at it. It says that God is faithful who will not allow or will not suffer you to be tempted. God is not only faithful, but he controls the dimension and the volume of the trial and the test. He is sovereign of it. He controls the dimension and the volume of it. Anything that comes into my life has to be first filtered through the God of my salvation. So what is in my life, even if it is from Satan, it has to go through God and God will work it out according to his pleasure and his will in my life. And for me, a grown-up faith means sometimes I need hardships so I can look more like Jesus. Sometimes I need difficulty so I can grow up. There is a purpose in the pain. What I'd like you to see is this. In the other it says, but such as is common to man. What is the but here? But God is... God is faithful. God is faithful. How do you give a person hope? You tell them, God is faithful. If they tell you, well, you know, I grew up hard. You say, but God is faithful. You say, well, well, I didn't have both of my parents with me and you had your, but God is faithful. You're not the first person with, with, without both parents. You ain't going to be the last. Others have told me I wouldn't be nothing, but God is faithful. You know, I, I, I've, I've had, I didn't have the resources everybody had, but God is faithful. You know, now I didn't have the love and the encouragement and the support that I needed as I was, but God is faithful. I, I, I had faults and failures and frailties and fears, but God is faithful. I, I, uh, I have mistakes and disobedience and sin in my life that I feel like is overwhelming, but God is faithful. Physical illness and mental illness and family dysfunction. But God is faithful. And nobody hearing me today. Well, I'll just preach to myself. Physical illness and mental illness and family dysfunction. And I should be dead after two heart attacks. But God is faithful. Reckless living and self-destruction. But God is faithful. Left me all by myself and I didn't know how I would make it, how I would make ends meet. But God is faithful. My children have lost their ever-loving minds and I'm trying to fix it for them. But God is faithful. I go from one job to another job and I can't keep a job and I'm trying to have enough re- But God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. And I'm not diminishing your difficulty. And I'm not minimizing your trial. And I'm not... But God is faithful. I am saying God is bigger. I am saying that God is better. And I am saying that God is faithful. 
He's faithful. He's faithful. No, my situation is ordinary. I have not gone through anything but such as is common to man. My situation is not overwhelming because God is faithful. Who will not allow me to be tempted beyond that which I'm able. But the third point, it says this. Not only does Satan try and trick us and say your problem is unique or your situation is unique. And then he tells us your situation is too strong, it's too much. But he also says your situation is impossible and there's no way out. No way out. What I would say this verse is saying is your situation can be overcome. It can be overcome. Look at the text. There hath no temptation overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. But, there's the but again, will with the temptation... Also, make a way to that you may be able to endure it. So it's not, it's not something that cannot be overcome. You can overcome it with the trial, with the temptation, with the test. He will give you two things. He'll give you a way of escape. And the reason why he's giving you a way of escape is so that you can endure it. Or as one commentator said, he has given you the answer in the verse. He says, what I want you to do is stay right there in the test until it's over with. I want you to stay right there in the trial until it's over with. I want you to stay right there in the temptation until it's over with. Do you see where I'm going? You endure it, and in enduring it, that's the escape. You walk through it. You wait till it's over. You wait till it's done with. You wait. And, and they that wait on the Lord will regain their what? So the issue becomes, am I willing to bear it? Am I willing to endure it? Look, 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 look. You don't have to turn there. You already know it. But in James chapter 1, verses 2 through about 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy... When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Listen, listen, why are we to do this? It says in in the text that, that various trials are an enjoyment. Count it all joy. When you enter into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces something. It produces something. And then it says, and patience or endurance is going to have its perfect work that this enduring this trial, enduring this temptation, enduring this test, God is working in your life through it. Producing character in you, the character of Jesus Christ. And he says, he says, let it have its perfect work that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, so that you can be mature. And men and women, the greatest thing that God wants us to have right now in 2020 is a mature faith. Not an immature faith. Not a, not a spoiled faith. Not a faith that, that, that is selfish. 
Not a faith that is self-centered, but a mature faith that points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and look, I read for you verses 2 through 4 of James. Do you remember how we started the message? We started the message with John chapter 14, verse 1, where it says, And do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in what? In me, in Jesus. Jesus is talking there. So, Jesus gives definition to our trials. Jesus gives definition to the testing. He gives definition to the temptation. And so when James writes... He doesn't jump to verse 2. You've got to read verse 1 before you get to verse 2. Because if you don't read verse 1, then it'll look like God is saying just suck it up. If you read verse 1, verse 1 gives definition to verses 2, 3, and 4. Are you with me? Y'all know that you can't get to verse 2 until you get to verse 1, right? Verse 1 says this. James, a bondservant of God... And the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe in God. Believe also in. James was a bondservant of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ. He says. God and Jesus give me definition to my life. So I can see trials differently. And I can see testing differently. And I can see temptations differently. I can see. Why I'm going through it, what God is trying to produce in me, I can have joy in it, not happiness, but joy, because God is working in my life. God is building character in me. God is making me look more like Jesus. Every step of the way. And listen, we've got to have faith to go through. Jesus went through for us. The least we can do is go through for Him. I'll close with this. One, one, there's not anybody, too many people on the planet I love any more than Daniel Edwards. I, I really, I, I weep that, that he and M aren't, aren't with our church. They joined a church on the other side of town, but we've, we, we've kept a, a, a really, really good relationship. And I've asked uh, Daniel to, to help me with my basketball team. And so I'm the character coach over at Birmingham Southern College men's basketball program. And, and I've given Daniel the title of being our character coach over at Restoration Academy. So he'll come and do do uh, uh, devotions for us. And he came this past week and and he, he, he said, I, I called him the same day. And, and I said, if you don't have anything prepared, don't worry about it. He says, well, I got something, but it's going to be really, really short. I said, OK, well, that's fine. Come on. And what I've told him is talk about Jesus and then tack on basketball. Don't talk about basketball and tack on Jesus. Y'all understand what I'm saying? OK, so so he does that. And it was such a good devotion. I mean, he's so gifted and he's so wonderful. I just love, love Daniel so much. But he came and the last devotion he did was on brotherhood. And he says, the Lord just keeps talk, talking to me about brotherhood. The Lord keeps telling me about brotherhood. And I want to talk about brothers today. And he gave this illustration. He said there were two brothers. There was an older brother and a younger brother. They were, they were pretty far apart in age. And this older brother helped raise this, this younger brother. And and the younger brother was 19, 20, early 20s, and he had this penchant for getting in trouble all the time. You know, the older brother was the model citizen, and his younger brother was bad. So he goes out and uh, gets in a fight at a bar. He gets into a fight at the bar, and there's blood, and there's guts, and there's everything. And at the end of the fight, he pulls out a gun and shoots the guy he's fighting with and kills him. 
Well, he's able to flee the scene. He heads toward home. He gets home and he, he, he rushes in. His older brother says, what's going on? And he tells him what has happened. He says, quick, take your clothes off. I hear the sirens coming. They probably followed you here to apprehend you. And so the older brother says, take your clothes off. Go into my room and put my clothes on. And so he does that, and when he comes back out, he notices that the older brother has put his clothes on him, the bloody clothes on him, the torn clothes on him, the clothes that have all the evidence of a fight and all the evidence of a murder. He puts on, and the police come in, and they apprehend him. He doesn't say a word. They get him to the police station, and he doesn't say a word. And they have to, to arrest him, and they, they end up convicting him because all the evidence... He's wearing all the evidence. And, 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 and the brother tries to say, no, he didn't do it. I did. No, sir, he's got all of the evidence. They convict him. They execute him. And the, the, the younger brother, please, no, please. No, they execute. No, he says, I really did it. He says, no, we can't do anything to you. He has, has, has pled guilty. He is executed for the crime. And that younger brother because of that loving expression, because of the trials that he's gone through, that loving expression that, that, is, that his older brother made for him, he says, the rest of my life, I'm going to live for him. Daniel turned that thing around. He turned around. He said, Jesus is our older brother. He has taken the, the clothes that we've been wearing of sin and unrighteousness and guilt and shame, and wickedness, and immorality, and the breaking of the law, everything that would make us unrighteous, and unholy, and unclean, and our elder brother Jesus has put it on himself. Our elder brother Jesus on the cross has taken our sin, and taken our shame, and taken our guilt, and taken our unrighteousness, and said, I'll pay the cost, I'll pay the penalty, I'll take the shame, I'll take the guilt, and I'll set you free. And then Daniel said, and not only that, did he take our guilt and shame and unrighteousness, but he said, you put my clothes on. You put my clothes of righteousness. You put my holiness on you. You put my record on you. You put me on you. You put my 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 uh, 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 cleanness on you, and you are all clean. You are guilt free. You go as innocent, not because you are, but because I made you. Somebody ought to know what I'm talking about today. That gospel that He loves me that much gives definition and gives meaning. To anything that I'm going through. Because I never doubt his love. He died on the cross for me. I never doubt his care. Because he died on the cross for me. I never doubt whether or not he knows. Because he died on the cross for me. I never doubt whether or not I have the victory. Because he rose from the dead for me. I never doubt whether or not I'm getting through this. Because he went through and rose from the dead. With all power in his hand. I never doubt it. Jesus said this, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In me. There hath no temptation overtaken you. 
but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray.